Good morning, everyone. I'm sure we can all agree with that prayer, can't we? Oh, yes. So how are we on this, um, this bright and sunny day, isn't it? Is it? I don't, I don't know. Um, um, that's good. To, oh, there you are. There you are. It's a bright and sunny day. Uh, welcome, visitors. Um, you're mostly visitors this, this, this second service. It's good to see you. You're welcome. I hope you trust you'll be blessed and encouraged. Um, so where are you from? We're a small group. Come on. <laughs> Manjimup via France, right? Can anyone, anyone spread further afield than that? <laughs> no? Some city people? Yeah? Happy birthday, Jill. The secret's out. Yeah. Um, well, welcome, guys. Um, um, this morning we are. Well, we've we've just finished uh, we've just finished a series series the last few weeks months actually. It's, time flies by when you're having. Yes, um, we've we've been looking at a series and we've been looking at um, personal revival and and what that looks like in a Christian life, and we focused on the gospel message and how the gospel message should be, well, how it looks in our lives, because obviously the gospel message is so much more than simply information that gets us saved and then we file it away until we share that with someone else. No, the gospel message is a truth that works uh, in and through us and has constantly been reflected uh, to the world around us, and so we've been focusing on what a church looks, what a church alive looks like, and um, and uh, we finished that series last week. And so this morning, prior to all of this, we were in the book of Romans before the lockdown started. And so, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, we're in chapter twelve. An interesting thing, well, not interesting. Each week, uh, again, visitors. Each week, we've been putting together. Um, principles, if you will, of, of, of what personal revival looks like, and we've turned it into a bit of a... I've been looking for a word for it, but I can't find it, and I've been encouraging you to memorise it each week. Um, and, uh, but, and, and it... Um, so let's just pray it, shall we? That's what I thought. This, we'll, we'll just pray it, because... Um, that's what it needs to become. All the things we've been focusing on the past few months, you know, it's got to come from intellect to our heart. And when we start to pray it, then it becomes something that works out in our lives, right? Isn't that how it works? You know, so let's make it a prayer. Let's make it a devotion, a commitment to God. So if you'll just pray with me, agree with me, that'd be wonderful. Father in heaven, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are our God and Lord, that we are your children. And we ask, Father, that you would guide us according to your truth, Lord, that you would, you would uh, remind us of the truth that's in Christ, your Son. You would remind us of your precious word that speaks to our hearts. And, Father, we ask, even as the disciple asked, that you would teach us to pray, that we would, be, we would earnestly, wholeheartedly be people who desire your presence, your purpose, your blessings in all the things of our life. And we ask you, Father, to search our hearts to search our lives, to change us, to expose the sinfulness that, that is there and restore us and keep us, Father, from the things that would keep us from you. And may that great gospel message, Lord, may it truly be the most important message that we have, the, the message that changes 
saves, transforms, glorifies sinful people. Let it be the most important message that we have to give to this world. And may we as your people, Lord, be... Father, may we never be satisfied with a, a complacent spirituality that produces no living for your Son. Lord, we're done with careless living. We ask, Father, that uh, you would build within us a, a faith, a faith of substance that takes us beyond the four walls of this church into our community with, uh, with a life-transforming example to live before all men. Lord, we're ready. Father, we're willing to exchange any sense of self-indulgence, Lord, for that self-denying, life-transforming Christianity that you've given to us. Father, our hearts cry, our prayer simply is, Lord, we're ready to live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you there in Romans chapter 12? Because what I want to talk to you about, and, and, and it's a sense of continue on for where we've been. And what these opening two verses in chapter 12 really are speaking about, really the nourishment of consecration to, in our lives, consecration to Jesus Christ. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 really are verses that tell us that God wants the very best for us as his children. And the very best that we can have is a life that is fully committed to Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? Is there anybody in this room that disagrees with that? I'm, see, that silence is a good silence. Yeah, Because we do, we do know that, don't we? We agree with that. The best life that we can have in this world is a life that is consecrated, set apart to the God who created us, the one who brought us into existence for his purposes. It's the best of the best, we would say. So read these verses with me, will you? These two verses that are so familiar... It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Now, because, because, the very best that we can have is a life of consecration. The scripture here begins with this word, but I beseech you. If you were here last week, it's the same words that we saw that Apostle Paul started in that passage in Ephesians. And again, I want to just remind you, it carries with it the idea of someone that is calling somebody with something important to say, it is you with some, well, God with something important to say, calling us near unto Him. It's a strong call, it's a pleading. In fact, actually, it's a begging that the Apostle Paul is putting out here. And it's, again, it's when somebody has something so very important to say that they simply say, Come. Well, actually, no, they lean into your direction. Do you know this experience? They lean into your direction and with compelling voice, they say to you, you need to listen to this. You really need to listen to this. And the scripture here is saying again, even as we saw last week, it is in a sense it's the spirit of God is leaning into us and saying, this is so important. You really, really need to hear this. You ever had someone do that to you? 
They just simply come up from behind you maybe and just lean into your ear and say, you must hear this, you've got to hear this. And the Spirit of God does that when the Apostle Paul says, I beseech thee. And so he says, I beseech thee by the mercies of God that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice. The Spirit of God, let me say it again, leaning into our direction and saying, this is of the utmost importance. And it just is. It just really is. So it's, I beg you, therefore, we would say, Brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, the idea is that this full commitment that we have been called to is based upon something. And it's based upon nothing less than the full mercy of God that you have experienced in your life. And if you would stop and you would think about Oh, actually, we'll stop and think about this first. You cannot surrender yourself to somebody, quite frankly, based upon anything other than this. Can you? Based upon the mercy of God. Think about it. Think about the mercy upon mercy that God has poured out into your lives. You know, God has said that you are now justified. Would you st- just that one word. You have been made just. God looks upon us as we are forgiven. He sees us forgiven of all unrighteousness, of all sin, of all betrayal of innocence, of any iniquity. He sees us as, what is it? Whiter than snow. Isn't that right? What did Isaiah say? Though your sins be red as scarlet, you shall be what? Whiter, whiter than snow. And isn't that a glorious thing to realize? From God's perspective, certainly we're imperfect, but from God's perspective, he looks at you now and he sees you as perfect. That's the mercy of God. As if you have never sinned. As if you will never, ever sin again. That's God's position as he looks at us. Now he's now stand before God, identified with the perfection that is Jesus Christ. That's why when we come to Romans chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now, how much? No condemnation. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been adopted You've got to stop and think on these things. Not just adopted, but you've been adopted into the eternal family of God. The gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit is with you, is in you. Christ put his hand upon you and he has promised he will never ever take it off of you again. He is constantly in you to keep you, to nourish you, to lead you, to guide you, to comfort you, to never abandon you. That's the mercy of God upon your life as a child of God. And you have the certainty, isn't that incredible? The certainty of the coming glory. He's given you a destiny. You have the hope of heaven before you that never leaves us. You have the confidence that nothing can separate you from this great love that God has poured out into your life. And this is what Paul is saying. Because of the mercy, because, of, because he has loved us in unsearchable ways. I think we sang that song, didn't we, this morning? Because he has loved you in unsearchable ways. Or should I say, because God has already loved you, has already poured out his mercy upon you in unsearchable ways. Because the God of heaven and earth has chosen you, the scripture leans in, the Holy Spirit leans in, And says, because of this, 
present your bodies as living sacrifice. Now, keep that in your mind. Keep that in your heart. And let me ask you a question. This is, gonna, this is really going to identify how old we are. I won't ask for a show of hands. But who knows when I survey the wonderful cross, the wondrous cross. Anybody? First service, I was really surprised. Hands shot up everywhere. When I survey the wondrous cross, it was, it was, it was um, Isaac, Isaac Watts, this great hymn. And I just wanted to read to you the last verse, but I thought I can't. I want, to, I want to read you the whole verse for you young people that have never heard this. I, I doubt that anybody has not heard this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowed mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? And he says this, final verse. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. You know what he's saying? He was saying, if all of the created universe was mine, if I possessed it, and it was mine to give in exchange for the mercy and the love that God has poured into my life, it would pale by comparison. In other words, it's saying it's not even worthy to put on the scales to measure it against the love and mercy of God that is poured into your life. It just doesn't match. And then he says, because of that, he closes, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. He knew something, didn't he? He understood something about this incredible mercy and the weight of God's love. God's divine mercy is simply the most powerful spiritual incentive there is to follow and serve Jesus Christ. Look, i tell you what, to be honest with you, it is beyond my understanding, it really is, why anyone would not want to put their lives in the hands of this God who has loved them in incomprehensible ways. You know, that may be because I'm on, the, I'm on the inside looking out. I don't know. It might just be the perspective of a believer who has received this love and mercy. But as, as I recognize just how wonderfully God has loved us, he gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. And I don't understand why anyone would not want to put themselves into the hand of such a God. He gave his life for us. I beseech you, therefore, he says, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. And when he says present your bodies, he is, he's talking about this thing. You know, he's talking about this thing that I drag out of bed every morning. But this thing is far more than just, just that, isn't it? It's far more than just skin and bone. Because what, what, what the Apostle Paul here is saying is signifying, signifying sorry, everything that we are. Your body, my body, our bodies are the instrument of your spirit and, and, and our spirit serves God through our bodies. In fact, for the child of God, what does 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 tell us about our bodies? 
It tells us that we are a temple, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, in us, whom you have from God. He says you are not your own. You've been brought with a price. Therefore, and therefore, because therefore, he then says, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Here's the truth. And I don't know if you see it through this perspective, but the truth is what you do with your body, how you express your relationship with God through your body with this vessel is how God communicates to this world. Certainly comes through the example of, certainly through Jesus Christ, certainly through his revealed word, his revealed word but how that manifests through a life that is surrendered to the purposes of God is what people see. God is invisible, isn't he? But he sees him or the world sees him through you. And can I say it again? Through what you do with this vessel. God's got a plan for your body. So people don't like that, do they? He said, God has a plan for your body. We think it's ours. We think it's ours to do with whatever we want to do, and we do all sorts of crazy things to it, don't we? Well, some do. But God has a plan for your body. Ephesians chapter 2 says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. What? that we should walk in them. God has a plan for your body. When he says you, we are his workmanship, it's the Greek word workmanship, is poema, where we get our English word poem from, and literally you are, your life, your, your, the expression of God in and through you is God's expression to this world. You're his creative work of art. And God doesn't make bad works of art, does he? And we have an option to, it's up to us, it's very much up to us, what we do with these bodies. So God says, give me control of what to do with your body. He doesn't say, give me control of your body. He doesn't say that, because that would be a robot, wouldn't it? And we're not, we're not robots. No, he says, give your body to the purposes of God. And you do it based upon the fact that God has been so mercifully good to each of us. So again, it's describing here total sacrifice, completely given over to him. It's the picture of the Old Testament sacrifice upon the brazen altar when the priest would bring the sacrifice into the tabernacle, place it upon the brazen altar, and the entire thing is consumed. And so God is begging us to give everything that we are to him as a living, holy sacrifice, which of course in simplest terms means we live for him. These hands, these eyes, these feet, this frame, they are, well again, as Romans chapter 6 tells us in verse 13, to be yielded as to God as instruments of righteousness. So what you accomplish, the things that happen through your body are to accomplish, this is his purpose, are to accomplish righteous things or righteous 
outcomes. But, but notice, he begs us to do it in a sense once and for all. Once and for all. That's what that word present means. Present your bodies once and for all. Again, and the idea is what we would see like a bride and a groom committing themselves to one another on the day that they got married. They are committing themselves to one another, promising to never take themselves back from the other person. And this is the plea here. This is the plea. Once and for all, make a commitment of your bodies and bring them to God. What you do, what you say, where you go, how you do it. Something else to notice is also that this commitment is your reasonable service. And I love the fact that Paul says this. Because that word reasonable service is, 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 is the sense of it's logical we get our word logical from it, the original work. And the idea being is this. When I realise, when I realise who God is, yeah, he's a God of love and mercy. He's the God who has done absolutely everything for me to save me. As some people have said, heaven has given absolutely everything. And it has for us. The God who offers us help beyond this life and by contrast to that I look at who I am who am I you know you take Christ away from me and for the matter of fact you do it for any of us you take Christ away from me what is left is something that's not really that pretty you can meet this person 30 years ago before Christ come into this life what was there? There was this sinful, prideful, self-orientated being that was doing everything he possibly could to separate himself from God with no hope of life beyond this world. And so what's the logical thing to do? There's the contrast. What's the logical thing to do? What is the very smart thing to do? The only reasonable thing to do, this is what Paul is saying, is to give myself to him. Think it through. Think it through. God knows all things. He knows how things are going to end up. And because his wisdom is so much greater than my wisdom, it's simply illogical not to surrender myself to him. It's the logical thing to do. It is completely irrational not to become a believer in Jesus Christ. It's simply irrational not to give my life completely to him. Logic demands it. So with all that in mind, he gives two commands. Two commands. The first is negative and the second is positive. He says, do not be conformed to this world. There's your negative and the positive, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want you to note that both of these are in what we call the present tense. And so it's a continuous action within our lives. So first, do not be conformed to this world. Literally, do not conform to the same patterns or the schemes of this age is the literal translation. So, so what is it to conform? To conform to something is to be changed by outward pressure. It's outward pressure upon you to shape you. It's, it's the outward pressure trying to change the inward reality of something. That's to be conformed. 
And you know, Christian, don't you? There's all kinds of pressures placed upon you to conform to the ways of this world. There's a whole collection out there of philosophies and ideologies and powers and, 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 and illusions and sinful attitudes that are arrayed against us, that are leaning down upon us all the time. And the message that we hear from these ideologies is that if you don't follow this worldly set, then you're missing out. Or the one that we're hearing all the time today, if you don't abide by or commit yourself to these ideologies, then you are not a good person we hear that a lot don't we these days you're not a good person or life is passing you by so what do people do they willingly spend hours exposing their minds and their hearts to this world and its values to be accepted in this world it's someone someone said this They said, it's an age, talking about this age in which we live, it's an age that is dominated by various media. There is rarely a moment that is not filled with distractions that are beckoning you their way. Think about that. This world, it's so busy. It's so loud. And I think the guy is true. There is barely a moment that is not filled with distractions that are beckoning us that way. Watch TV. Certainly social media, right? Read books, read magazines, listen to people. And they're spewing out this worldly wisdom. And again, it is. It's loud. It's, it's, it's like flashing lights. It's vivid imageries offering up enticing morsels, aren't they? Just taste this. And you will enjoy life. And it's so easy to see if we give ourselves over to these things. It's not long before we start to thinking, yeah, well, there, there, there's something good about that, you know. And before you know it, you're, you're talking like the world, you're sounding like the world, and you're following the wisdom of the world. What we need to do is that we need to be thinking with a scriptural worldview. And that's why, that's why this is hated. That's why there are so many attempts to remove this from our society. Because it opposes the very philosophies and ideologies of this world and says this is not how God thinks. This is how God thinks. And you and I, as his followers, need to have scriptural world views. So when we, when we watch and when we listen and when we hear, I know this is really, really basic, but when we do, we need to be asking ourselves, what does God actually say about this and not be pressurized into? Is that a real word? Pressurized? Or pressured, sorry, better grammar, not be pressured into this world mold. You know this pressure, don't you? You know it's, you feel it, don't you, on you all the time? It's the rivalries that are set up. You know, the, the rhetoric is, you know, it's out there all the time. You know, it's all of these things, you're left wing, you're right wing. You, know, you hear that language now? You know, and there's all these rivalries that are trying to move us in one way or the other. And it's competitive, it's the competition, it's the grabbing. 
It's a, it's a grabbing nature that, that gets a hold of people, grabbing this, holding that. You know, it's, it's, it's me, it's mine. It's, you know, it's the, the self-advancement that society pushes us towards and we see people as opportunities. It's this pressure there. It's on us all the time insisting that we conform. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about it in um, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 when he calls it this present evil age. And it's a really, it's a really descriptive statement. He's using this language that is descriptive of the malevolent force that is behind the godless schemes of this world, this present evil age. And we are here told to stop being conformed by it. But rather, by contrast, Christian, you are called to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And please notice God is very concerned about our mind. You know, too many people look at the Christian faith and say that, you, that it is a mind-dumbing or diminishing faith. You know, you Christians, you take your mind out and put it on the shelf, you know. But by contrary to that, the Scripture is repeatedly concerned that we have a right mind, that we have a sound mind, that we have a steadfast mind. Right? You know, and if you think the Christian mind is not right, then just look at what people are willing to do in order to satisfy their desires for sin. Or just go out there. I, I don't know if I encourage you to do this or not, but, but you just go out there and you ask somebody, what is morality? And I promise you, within 30 seconds of their answer, you'll know their minds are tweaked. You know? What is morality? You, you, you listen to them. They're all concerned about saving you know, this plant and this fish and this, that, and all good things to do. So consumed by it, but they're willing to murder countless millions upon millions of unborn children. The mind is, the mind is tweaked, isn't it? We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Again, conformed is said to bring change, inward change from outward pressure. But transformed is the work of God's spirit in our lives from the inside to transform us and change us outwardly. From the inside to change us outwardly. Outwardly, It's the word transformed into the word metamorphosized, where we get our word metamorphosis from. Again, the classic image is that of the, the, of the grub going into the cocoon and slowly being changed and emerging as the, the beautiful butterfly. Metamorphosis, you know. That's what God wants to do in your life. Our part in this transformation is submitting our minds to him. And we can only do that, here it is, we can only do that by God's word. Communion with God in his word. And please don't misunderstand me, I'm not talking about technical study to prove right and wrong. Well, that is, that's a part of our walk, 
But I'm talking about communion with God and his word. I'm talking about time prayerfully spent meditating on what God has to say to me about life and about circumstances and situations. We have to allow God to capture our mind. You know, you've heard me say this many times, or some of you have. I start my everyday, you know, well, I can't say that because I sometimes race off. But for most of the point, I start my day, I wake up, and I purpose before my feet hit the ground, I purpose to say, Lord, this is my plan. This is what I've got to do today. And this is how I intend to do it. But Lord, if this is not your plan for me, then, then show me. Let's go your way. Let's do it your way. And that leads me to a time of devotion in his word, asking him to speak to me. And if, I, and if I start my day like this and I live my life like this, God begins to speak to us throughout our day, revealing his purpose and his plan for our day. It's a devotional relationship with God according to his word. Some people like to do it without the scripture. You can't do it. Because it's the word of God that is alive, that is sharp, than a two-edged sword. It's the word of God that's able to get into our heart to divide between that which is soulish and that which is spiritual. Only the word of God can do that. So it's this devotional worship with God. You can't do it any other way. And can I say this? There's no way that you can keep from being conformed to this world if you are not being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Either one of those two is happening right now and every day of your life. Can I say that again? Because I think that's the most important thing I've got to say to you. There's no way that you can keep from being conformed to this world if you are not being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Either one is happening right now. And that's because the choice is very much mine. The choice is very much mine where I am going to place and feed my mind, but if I will allow God to transform my mind, you know what's going to happen? I will begin to perceive differently. My old mind, again, as I said earlier, saw people in a certain way, right? Saw them as an opportunity or an hindrance to my life. And I approached them based upon that outcome. Very selfish we are in our relationships prior to Christ with people. Very selfish, you know. But now, with the mind of Christ and God working in my mind, when I see that grumpy neighbour or that grumpy person, I don't simply identify him as a grumpy person and avoid him. But now, with the mind of Christ... It's why. And the heart moves towards that person and the person becomes not just an undesirable person but rather somebody that you, whose life can you, be a part, you can be a part of. Remember, God wants to express who he is through you to this world, through your body and how you let it work or let it lead. 
You know, new mind, you know, this is basic stuff. The new mind recognises that money and material things can never meet the real need of a person. Isn't that right? It recognises that. Just as a, a personal recognition is, is, is replaced by a desire. See, it used to be all about my personal recognition and how people viewed me. But now, with the mind of Christ, it's the desire to what? To glorify him, to honour him. I genuinely, don't you want people to see Jesus in you? To speak about the experience they have with you and to have the name Jesus attached to it rather than, oh, that guy's a good guy. That good, that good guy helped me out. And if that's where it ends, that's just building me up. Do you see the difference? The Spirit of God wants to work this in us each and every single day. You know, there was a time when I just saw just how utterly self-centred I have been. And, and look, uh, still today it's happening, right? We ebb and we flow. Certainly we do, you know. But something has begun in me as it has begun in you. For me, it was 30 years ago now. The metamorphosis began. It started. It was gradual. And if I will allow that to continue to take place, if I will continue to present my body as a living sacrifice to a holy God, if I will commit my mind to the word of God in a devotional relationship with the creator, the God who loves me above all things, if I will do that, verse 2, the verse that we really, really love. You know, some people want to skip verse 1 and go straight to verse 2. Can't do that because verse 2, the verse that we really, really love says, if that is the truth, if that's who I am then I might be able to prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God for my life. Doesn't that sound sweet? You know, isn't that wonderful? Surely there's no higher priority than to know God's perfect will for my life. I know a lot of people are waiting for someone to come behind them and put their hand upon them and tell them, well, God wants you to do this, be this, go there, do that. And I don't completely discredit God speaking through other people, but the reality is God's going to lead me. He's going to show me. He's going to reveal himself to me. He's going to guide me in these things as I present my body as a living sacrifice, as I allow him to change my mind according to his word. If I give myself to him, I'm going to find myself there. That word prove... It's, it's not just that word prove is, is, a, is a has the idea of to, to carry on carry on to completion to carry on to completion the, the good and the acceptable perfect will of God so again what I'm saying it's progressive it's the progressive work of God it's a process that if we will each and every single day be those people. You know, I meet, I, meet, I meet people, and I don't know if I need to say this, but, you know, I hear people pray, Lord, just, just go before me and, and, and lead me in your will. But they have no real intention of doing things God's way. You know? Well, people... Again, this one, just give me a break, God. You know? Lord, just, just give, me a, 
Give me a break. But again, they disregard the simple reality or the simple truth of God's righteousness and holiness. And they wonder why the breaks never come. You know what God's will for us is? I can give it to you in one verse. We've, we've, we've read it already, but here it is in another place. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the will of God, it says. Even your sanctification. You know what that word means? It's what we've been talking about. Setting ourselves apart. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that in every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, this body, in sanctification and honour. So it's really, I know it's simple this morning, but it's Lord, here I am. Lord, I'm yours. These hands, this body, this mind, it's yours. Lead me, guide me. And I know, I know if you pray that prayer, if you live that life, his promise is to lead you. His promise is to guide you. But remember, he's a holy God. And so where he leads you and where he guides you is going to be into things of holiness and righteousness. And so your choices every single day are going to be choices unto holiness and righteousness. So it's really simple. Make righteous decisions. Choose holiness and just go. Just go into this world and show them who God really is. As he progressively leads you, changes you, proves his good and his acceptable and perfect will to you. you know, God's there, isn't he? He's there before you. You realize that? He's gone before you. You know, sometimes we view God as, you know, he's way, way, way up there and, and we're trying to catch up, you know. No. Actually, Psalm, 23rd Psalm, we love the 23rd Psalm, don't we? Closes out by saying, and his goodness and his mercy does what? Follow you all the days of your life. Now again, we think, oh, hang on a minute. I used to think he was way up there and I was trying to catch up with him. But no, he's way back there following me with his goodness and his mercy. That's not what it says. When it says his goodness and his mercy follows you, the word is pursues you or actually hunts you down. Don't you like that? The goodness and mercy of God is hunting you down. And that's why... God can make that promise, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. That's why the last words that Jesus said from the Mount of Olives before he ascended into heaven, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the, the age. It may be a wicked age. It may be directed by malevolent, I can't say that word a second time, ma, 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 evil forces. In the background. But he's with you. He's leading you. He's transforming you. Isn't that glorious? Let the work continue. Shall we pray? 
Father in heaven, how, how precious you are. How wonderful you are, oh God. Oh Lord in heaven, I just pray this morning as we consider these things that you would refresh in our minds, in our hearts, the incredible depth of your love, the mercies that are new each and every morning, your faithfulness, you've never abandoned us, you've always provided for us. Father, refresh our minds in these thoughts that we might be enamored with this great love that we can surrender ourselves to you for we know we can't surrender to anything less and I know you know that too. And that's why you've loved us so completely, Heavenly Father. Bless these people in this room today. Bless their hearts and bless their minds and bless their bodies to know what it is to live for you and serve you and honour you. Thank you for the wonderful path that is before us, the glorious hope that seals us unto eternity in your presence. Thank you in Jesus' name that we can live for you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jenny.